Steel Profiles podcast is brought to you by AISC Continuing Education. Visit AISC.org seminars to find a seminar in a city near you. Welcome to another episode of Steel Profiles. I'm your host, Margaret Matthew, Senior Engineer in the Continuing Education Department at AISC. My guest today is Roger Furch, PE, President of AISC. Roger received his bachelor's degree in civil engineering from the University of Washington and then went on to earn his MBA from the University of California, Berkeley. Mr. Furch served in the U.S. Navy Civil Engineering Corps and then went on to work for Herrick Corporation, where he achieved vice president status and worked for more than 25 years. Prior to becoming AISC's president, he was a member of the AISC Board of Directors and served on several AISC technical committees. Welcome, Roger. Thank you so much for agreeing to take the time to talk to me today. Well, thank you, Margaret. It's uh, taken us a few months to get together, but I think I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> and uh, I have listened to a couple other podcasts, so let's see where it takes us. Okay. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, probably in the early days of my youth, I had a lot of fascinations and different things I wanted to try. But I remember my first vocational choice was to become a dentist. Oh, <laughs> that is not what I expected to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the, the story continues. So... At the time, I had achieved my Eagle Scout with Boy Scouting, and there was an explorer post at the University of Washington Dental School that gave you exposure to what a dentist does in their career. So we were over there working in the labs and things like that. And if I recall, it was the fourth or fifth meeting that they handed out X-Acto knives and bars of ivory soap and said, you know, create something. So these other people and boys around me were creating these beautiful-looking sculptures, and I was creating ivory soap flakes. So at the end, after that, I went home and told my parents, I think I better look for something else to do. I just don't seem to have that uh, detailed hand movements that may be required to uh, put the drill in the right place in someone's tooth. So (laughs) that was my first path down uh, a vocational choice. Uh, How old were you then when you decided that maybe that wasn't going to be the right thing? I want to say it was like a sophomore in high school, maybe. Okay. They're about sophomore, junior, maybe. Well, it was three-year high school then, so there wasn't, you never were called a freshman in high school. So you did go on to do your undergrad degree in civil engineering at the University of Washington. Yes. And then went on to get an MBA from the University of California, Berkeley. That I did. So where did you start your career after that? Thinking back, the career started, I guess, in the steel business, started a couple of times. I mean, first, while I was going and doing my undergraduate work, I was working for a fabricator up in Seattle. I actually worked for them for a year before I then went into the military. And it was after I had my military service, which finished up in the San Francisco area, that at the end of that, I was, uh, one day I was out on uh, Yerba Buena Island in the middle of the bay looking at the uh, Guy Derricks and tower cranes over in the San Francisco skyline and just asked the superintendent who was a foundation contractor who was working for me at the time. I said, who, who does those buildings over there? And he says, well, there's this firm called Herrick that sort of supplanted Bethlehem and American Bridge, and they seem to be up and comer doing most of the high rises in San Francisco. So from the military, I got out of the military. On the same day, I started with Herrick. Well, let's go back to the military. You were assistant resident officer in charge of construction for the U.S. Navy Civil Engineering Corps. Yes. In Alaska and California. Correct. How did you end up there? You just joined the Navy? Well, some would say, yes, I did just join the Navy, but 
I am one of those that was around during the Vietnam conflict, back when the United States still had a draft system. Oh, okay. So, in fact, it was one of the first years that they changed the draft system from just totally random to putting it into a lottery where your birthday was chosen out of a lottery. Mm -hmm. And my college roommate at the time and I had both the previous summer decided that we would go in the military and go in as an officer in the Navy. And I remember sitting at the fraternity one night and watching television as all the birthdays were picked. And he got number 361 and I got number 52. So at that stage, our paths sort of crossed. He went down and canceled his contract with the Navy. And I said, yeah, this is a good choice because I'm sure by the time I graduate, they will certainly get to 52. So that's where it started with the Navy. But I mentioned earlier that I was working for a fabricator in Seattle. That was sort of the first mentor in my career, the president of that company. Smaller fabricator, but I also knew the family and knew him. And I'd asked him what I should do as I was getting through high school, and he was the one that actually suggested get a degree in engineering, even if you don't want to be a design engineer. He says, go spend some time in the military, either the Corps of Engineers or the Navy construction teams. But he says, in the military, they'll give you way more responsibility at your age than you probably should be given, <laughs> but you'll learn a lot and you'll learn it fast. So a mentor sort of drove my career path right from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so how long were you in the military? Uh, just a little under four years. Four years. Counting training. So were you in Alaska? They call it Alaska, but <laughs> if you look at a map of Alaska, it has a string of islands that goes west out of mainland Alaska called the Aleutians. Mm -hmm. And ADAC is the most southerly of the Aleutian chain. It's not what people think of as Alaska, but well, it had snow a couple times a year, less snow than Chicago. Wow. But the nickname for the island was the birthplace of the winds. There was always wind on that island. Warmest temperature it ever got in the summer was... I think we got to 70 degrees one time and the base captain actually just called a holiday routine because it was so unusual to have a day with no wind and the sun out so everybody got a day off. Oh, so not Alaska proper but still Not Alaska proper, no. Did not <laughs> spend much time other than going through Anchorage to get there. So you did take uh, a path towards the fabricating side rather than design. Yes. So. Well, fabricating and or construction, because even the time I had in the military was in contract administration. So it was private contractors building the bases, everything from a runway to a bowling alley, barracks, housing, modular housing. Actually, did modular housing back in the 70s. And then I always like to build things. If you ask my mother, she said that you chose the career you like to do as a child because you were the ones that was all stacking things or my wife to this day says roger be the type that'll start stacking salt and pepper shakers to see if they can uh, stand on top of one another so <laughs> i've always considered myself a builder not a designer okay uh, so you mentioned that you you went to work for herrick so prior to joining aasc you were the vice president of herrick corporation the largest steel fabricator and erector on the west coast uh, so what was it about aisc that made you want to make such a huge career change and and come to work for aisc I don't think it was as much about AISC. The first choice was that I wanted to make a career change. And for that, I blame my son because <laughs> as he was in his undergraduate down at UC San Diego, there was a dinner for the honor students down there. And I went down and the speaker that night was a woman that served with the Department of State. And her speech to all these seniors was, as you get out of school, think about a career having three parts to it or three jobs or something like that. And I'm sitting there over dinner thinking, well, I had the military. I've spent at that time probably 25, 26 years with Herrick. What's career three going to be? And I also had in the back of my mind that the time to make my next career change would be when our children were out of high school. Mm -hmm. And there's eight years between them, so I still had four or five years to figure it out. 
so I started looking at different paths, whether it be consulting, whether it would be with a different fabricator, which would be a geographic change, what would it be? AIC, at the time, Luke Thett was president. I was on the board of directors. They said, would you consider putting your hat in the ring to become president of AISC? And it's something I really had not considered that much at the time. I really saw it as a job that, you know, be entirely different than what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But it was a job I really, I don't think, understood at the time. <laughs> and I thought about it for a long time. And then finally, one night over dinner, mentioned to Nancy, what would you think if we decided to move to Chicago rather than live out in California. And she said she'd seen Chicago once. <laughs> nice December day when it was actually 70 degrees outside. Wow. So she had no idea what the climate yeah, she was moving into. Yeah, complete misconception. Yeah, but it, it worked. <laughs> and uh, she says, you know, that sounds exciting. Let's let's give it a try. So I put my application in. Most people didn't even know I'd applied. Being on the board, I asked that, you know, because I didn't really want to lose my existing day job just because I had chosen to look for a second job. Mm-hmm. And when I was selected, I went in and uh, told Harry because I was moving on. So you were appointed president in 2006, and you said that you maybe didn't know exactly what you were getting yourself into. Looking back on it now, did you have any idea what you were getting yourself into? I had the idea because, as I said, I'd been on the board. I'd actually served you know, the oversight position with the engineering department. But I think the part I didn't totally grasp at the time was the variety. There are just many different things that AISC does, and most people only see one or two of them. I mean, if you're an engineer serving on the specification committee, you're pretty familiar with what the education, or excuse me, what the engineering department, research and engineering department's doing. But, you know, then you've got the magazine, you've got the certification programs, you've got the work with the students through university relations, you've got the continuing education, and certainly all the different marketing efforts, which spawn off in multiple different directions. Mm -hmm. So uh, the one thing I'd say about the job that was misadvertised to me, some say it's also my own choice, and that is the amount of travel that I do. Mm-hmm. So are you happy about the move to Chicago now that you've been here for a while? Is, is your wife okay with the climate here? No, we, we both love it. In fact, <laughs> I was out to dinner earlier this week with two people that had done the opposite. They had been born and raised in four season climates. One currently is with Harry Cliving in Northern California, which, yeah, there's four seasons, but there are marginal changes throughout the year. The other one's living in uh, Thailand, which, as he says, there's two seasons hot and hotter. <laughs> uh, and both of them say that you know, the remembrance of living in a distinct four season climate is more enjoyable than mm-hmm. in a more temperate climate. Not sure I'd say that if I'd lived here all my life, but you know, this is my sixth or maybe my seventh winter and each one's been different. Uh, uh, yes, I'm sure it has. You stepped into Lou Gerthet's shoes as president. Um, was it difficult to step into that role after Lou had been president for 10 years? Lou did a lot in his, his tenure. And I think the thing that I really came to recognize that he had changed, one is he shepherded our growth when we got the new membership by adding the producers and the service centers and increased the staff. But I'd say more importantly, he also started bringing in younger staff. If you go back in AISC and look at some of the old history books and read about who staff was, it was basically people like me that had a first (laughs) career in the industry and then came to the sunset of their careers at AISC. Now we have a very balanced staff. You know, we're basically a third of the boomers, a third of Gen Xers, and a uh, third millennials. And I, I think, you know, if 
I were to give Lou one credit for what he did, it was to start the thought that younger people can also do a great job for industry. So I hear that from a lot of people I interview when I ask them how AISE has changed. That that's usually the first thing they say. Well, the staff's a lot younger mm -hmm. now. So I, I didn't realize that was Lou that that started that trend. Yeah, you know, it started some under Neil Zendel. Yeah, you because know, certainly you can go back to look at people like Charlie Carter, Scott Melnick were quite young when they came in, and they're the ones that tell the stories somewhat about the uh, being the younger people on the floor and being certainly in the minority at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, when you took the job, you were quoted as saying, the challenge for the future of AISC is to promote further growth and the stature of our institute by bringing together the people and programs responsible for our past achievements to further grow market share and to gain greater international recognition of our institute. So how do you think AISC is doing with regard to these goals? Well, the one thing I didn't promise there was a good economy. <laughs> and I never you know, promised that. Yeah, the, the fact that the construction economy is in such a depressed state now, it's hard to think what, you know, are we meet, meeting our targets? Are we meeting our goals? But to hear that read back to me six years later, I pretty much agree that, yeah, we are, we are accomplishing all those things. And uh, certainly, you know, the recognition, the brand of AISC has been around for 90 years. I don't want to lose that credibility because I think we are who we are. We're recognized for who we are and we're recognized both as a technical institute and as the uh, trade association so we have we have multiple people that we're serving and the job is to continue to serve those people well uh, you mentioned the economy um, AIS seem, seems largely to have been insulated from the difficult economic challenges that the US has faced since 2008 and certainly the steel industry that we represent is hurting why do you think AISC has been less affected by the, the downturn in the economy well like we have been affected no doubt about it the good news is we went into it in reasonably strong financial shape and the board has been very supportive of saying let's continue our programs through the recession so that we don't have to start over. The, the importance of this is another statement that I made back and I've said many times when people call up and complain about the economy or complain about something that we did or have an issue on a contract and I, I will tell all our members we can't help you with today because if you look at what do our programs do we're planting the seeds for what will grow into projects tomorrow. So that's and as I say the support of the board has been tremendous in that. We've continued our programs. We've continued our staff because we we want to be ready as the economy begins to recover. Mm -hmm. As we've watched many of our competing materials, cutting staff, cutting programs, they're going to have to start by rebuilding once their finances come back, whereas we will already be in place with the people in the programs and be ready to uh, promote and assist in the uh, growing market. Uh, so you've been involved with AISC in a number of different roles. As a member of industry, uh, you were a member of the AISC technical committees, a member of the board of directors, and a member of the staff now. So how has your perspective of AISC evolved through all of these different roles? It's been a learning experience, and each has been different. But starting with the technical committees, it starts with, to me, one of the fundamentals of what is AISC, which is that opportunity for collaboration and networking. You know, people I met there, people I participated in, both AISC and other technical committees, um, um, so I came out here this morning, and this is being taped during the specification committee meetings. It's fun to walk into a room and see a lot of people that maybe you didn't see for a year, hadn't seen for a couple of years, mm -hmm. or you remember back, oh yeah, we did that together way back when, or even people that worked for me in different times. So that element has continued through from the beginning of being the volunteer. The board is perhaps 
one of the more interesting facets of it, I didn't know this when I was on the board, I've certainly seen it now that I'm on staff. The board, you get sort of like seeing four pictures of AISC a year at the board meetings. You know, you hear what they're doing, you hear what they've done, you have knowledge of everything they're doing, but they are just like snapshots. They aren't the day-to-day -day challenges, the day-to-day -day problems. Mm -hmm. And then certainly from the staff side, it's not much different than any other business. It has its daily challenges, and a lot of them are just communication issues that need to be resolved and pushed forward. Mm -hmm. So now that you've been in this role for a few years, now what do you see as your vision for the future of AISC? I think the other thing I've been working on is to make sure that we are a single organization. You know, there used to be, some people would call it silos, or some would call it that, you know, independence within departments, that marketing used to be actually a separate company. So it, oh, it, there, really? there was a time when people from marketing and people from AISC would walk in and they would actually have slightly different business cards and people would ask for that. So we've we've put that back together. Yeah, so where I'm trying to take it right now is a single organization. Um, certainly that's what I've been working with, with bringing the uh, National Steel Bridge Alliance, which focuses on the bridges, more working right in the mainstream of other AIC functions and using the support of the other departments. That's right where my current vision is, is be prepared for the recovery. You know, I've sort of been saying that, unfortunately, for a couple of years, and I keep saying next year, and then I say next year. You know, one of these it is, years it, you'll be right. One of these years I will be right, <laughs> and... <laughs> the economy will recover, but I don't think there's anything out there that would tell me that it's going to be a fast recovery. I think the other thing I've learned, and particularly with this job, is don't look too far forward. The change in technology, and whether that's at the fabrication side, or whether it's the software of modeling, or whether it's the software that can be used on construction projects, laser scanning and other issues, or even communication. Start thinking about what did you have for a cell phone five years ago, oh, or exactly. ten years ago, versus the device you're using today. Trying to be flexible enough, nimble enough to be ready for the future, I think that's perhaps the biggest challenge. And you know, a little story goes along with that. The year I started was the launch of the Unified Specification and 13th Edition Manual. Mm -hmm. And we were having a few issues with the first printing of that and timing of the printing and getting them out in time for students to start the next term. And as I was dealing with that, I started thinking, wow, someday somebody sitting in this chair is going to have to make a decision of whether we even print these anymore or we just provide the electronic manual. Yep. In the conversation with myself, I concluded at that time that, well, let's see, I will probably have one more manual in my tenure here. That's five years, six years out. I'm safe. <laughs> I won't have to face that decision, but whoever's sitting in this chair after me is going to have to. And, and if you look back, the manual is the heart of AISC. I mean, it's one of the first publications that's ever put out. We've done it 14 times now, and it's been the backbone. You know, the sales from it certainly help keep our uh, membership fees down. And whoever has to make that decision, well, if you now know the 14th edition, we're doing it both ways. Yeah, and yeah. it's another learning experience. It has not been as successful as we thought it would be. It has certainly been more difficult mm -hmm. because you're trying to balance protecting your rights and your copyrights and things like that, but also providing something that's functional yeah. to the person using it. So it's a new path of learning. Yeah. And as I say, five years ago, that one wasn't even on the radar screen. <laughs> In fact, it was not going to get on the radar screen. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that is something new, the, the electronic version of the manual. So if people listening don't know that that's available, that mm -hmm. is available now. So, so far, what do you think has been your biggest contribution to AISC? My biggest contribution, I would say right now, it is guiding the ship through the storm. That, you know, making sure we have the right people, doing the right things, maintain the support of the board, and 
the other one that I really take a lot of pride in is when I was in the oversight position of the director was when we finally stopped the battle between ASD and LRFD and, yes. and you know that is that has been tremendously beneficial I think not only for AISC to have a single manual but I think for the design and the educators to you know as Luke Geschwinder said have it your way exactly design it your way mm-hmm. okay so that's uh, your biggest contribution what's the worst idea you've ever had with AISC in, or in my life. In your life, AISC, whatever. Whatever you I'm, want to share. Well, <laughs> and, you know, you shared these, some of these questions with me before this interview started, and that one probably is, I don't have a good answer for that. And, and the reason I don't is I'm not so sure there are, any, there are any really bad ideas. Some just don't work out the way you thought they would. Right. But I've always looked at it as a learning experience. Yeah, you learn from everything. Yeah, to me, the the bad idea be the one that you tried it once and it didn't work, but you were dumb enough to try the same thing a second time. (laughs) And and that's part of you know I'd say I learned that from most of the people I ever worked for. Certainly at Herrick, you know we encouraged all our staff to try anything you needed to try and do it once. But if you make the same mistake twice, (laughs) those are the employees that weren't there the following month. And I think that's just a good way to look at things. You know, everybody will make mistakes along the way. And I think you almost have to encourage them because if you don't encourage them and let them know that they might not make a perfect decision, you will become stagnant very, very fast. Right. You have to try new things. Mm-hmm. So what piece of advice do you wish you had known at the beginning of your career? I think if I go back to the beginning of my career, the one that I don't remember anybody really telling me is the importance of people. You know, if you go to school, you know, they tell you to look in the book or learn how to do it from the book if you do this. But if I look at where do the challenges come from, the challenges come from communication. And it's whether you've developed the relationships and whether you've developed the trust with the people you're working with, that's something you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people can do it, some people can't. But if you can't develop trust through honesty, I don't know how those other people survive. And I certainly don't know how they get up in the morning and look at themselves in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Do you know that you have a reputation around the office for having an amazing memory and never forgetting anything? Did you know that? Did not know that. <laughs> and I'm not sure where that really comes from because, and I'm glad you started the question around the office because around the home, I am known as the person that can't even remember where I set the keys down two minutes ago. So, um, you know, memory is one of those tricky things. Uh, I have weaknesses in memory where the keys were, you know, where I set something else down. I've always get frustrated with the fact that the brain cells never seem to bring a person's name mm-hmm. when I when see him when I need mm-hmm. it. But there are other things that, you're right, stick around in my mind like glue, and uh, I just can't seem to forget. And there's <laughs> some things I'd like to forget, so I don't think memory can be controlled. Who inspires you? I've had a lot of inspirational people that I've been around throughout my career and that I've called mentors or things like that. As far as a single person at this stage, you know, certainly the support of my wife through the years has been very, very important because I think she was the one that uh, didn't believe what I'd been told as a child, that I was a total introvert and couldn't do anything with public speaking or anything like that. And she's been the one that's encouraged me to get past some of my own perceptions that uh, needed to be challenged and to move on. So, uh, as I say, I've had professional advisors. I've had educational advisors. I've had a lot of people that were very important to me at different times in my life, but she's been around for uh, two-thirds of it, so uh, she's the one that's there now as my inspiration. Good answer. You'll have to make sure she listens to this. I hope so, and you know, it'll probably also help me get in the door tonight when I go back home. So. <laughs> what would you consider your greatest life accomplishment at this point in your career and your life? 
I really can't single one out. Um, you can have a couple. No, I think the ones I look at is the fact that I've had the opportunity to, to do so many different things. I can look back my youth days, becoming an Eagle Scout, reaching a pinnacle there. And I certainly look back on the uh, projects that I can say I built. And I can remember a whole slew of projects that at some point in time during the fabrication or the erection that I would question in my own mind whether the structure could be built mm -hmm. and yet then to drive back after the fact and see it there and remember fondly and not so fondly different times of it but be able to point it and say yeah I did that and uh, I've got a few of those in my uh, repertoire through the years. So what's your favorite project that you built? It's probably a series of them for different reasons. And most of them actually are on the wall in my office. One of the earlier ones was the assembly building for the B-1 bomber out in Palmdale, California. And what made that project interesting is no one in the nation knew we were doing a stealth bomber at the time. In fact, the title blocks were cut out as far as what the structure was for. Another one on the... Uh, but did you know? We learned over time. You know, secrets, you know, over time, you, you know it's an assembly building, so you've got to figure something's coming down. Yeah. And it was only a couple months later that they announced the program was going there, and that's where they're going to build it. So similar type structure was the assembly building for the Boeing 777 up in Everett. And that was fascinating only because it was a connection to their existing building, which at least at the time, maybe still is the largest manufacturing building in the world. Mm -hmm. It's got very unique crane systems that the cranes can actually transfer from bay to bay. I mean, you always think of a bridge crane running up and down one single bay. Mm -hmm. Here the trolleys can detach from the girders and move over and move pl airplane parts throughout the building. And uh, San Francisco International Airport um, was certainly a challenge with long span trusses in the roof system. And then the uh, Walt Disney Concert Hall, one of Frank Geary's oh, wonderful... You on uh, that. Oh, yes, I did. Wow. That, that one probably had the most challenges, but that one also showed where the design world was going because it was an early adapter. Frank was an early adapter of uh, modeling and digitizing, and that project was so well modeled that you had an architectural model in 3D, and then you had 2D structural drawings, and trying to put the two together was an interesting challenge. Do you miss those types of projects? Do you miss working on construction? Yeah, that's an interesting question, because I, I was talking with someone just this week of saying that is what I miss, that going out on a job site and talking with the uh, the tradesmen and seeing the uh, pieces go up on a crane and be put together. But part of it, and as I say, I still go out on job sites now, and I can still brings back memories, but it doesn't bring back the pride that if it was your project mm -hmm. or you were project manager or you saw it go from design and seeing it there, that's the part I miss. Uh, if you hadn't been an engineer, what other career do you think you would have liked? Not dentistry. Not dentistry. <laughs> um, the rest of my family were all teachers. Whereas I see my role now somewhat as giving back what I've learned through my experience. I could never see myself as a teacher. So I think I'm just glad with the career I've had and certainly with the variety my career has had. So I mean, I have not had a lot of different employers, but I have had a bunch of different jobs through those years. There's yeah. never been a period of time where this is what it is and this is what it's going to be forever. I mean, I just, uh, I got to build one of Herrick's Fabrication Shops from a total Greenfield site. You know, the jobs I built as projects, traveling around the world, seeing steel production facilities and that. I've just had a lot of opportunities in my life, and I've enjoyed them all. Well, that's great that you can say that. It's certainly better than the opposite. <laughs> at, my, at my age, I'd hate to think I'm just starting my career. So, uh, oh, I wish I'd been a dentist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Margaret. Enjoyed it. 
This has been a presentation by the American Institute of Steel Construction. Join us next month when my guest will be Larry Kloiber, PE, consultant with Lejeune Steel Company. For more information on AISC continuing education opportunities, please visit us on the web at AISC.org seminars. And remember, there's always a solution in steel.